So before we get started this morning, I just want to share one thought with you all. Is that the church is God's people gathered. In Matthew 18, he says, when two of you, two or more of you gather in my name, there I am also. You know, whether you're joining us alone in your living room or with your family or maybe you're watching with a few friends, God's here with us. So let's remember that as we start to worship him. Are yours, we want you. We 
wants you Come back and soon, God, oh, we are We give you permission Our hearts are yours, we want you We want you thank you so much for this morning God we thank you that you are here with us God I pray that you speak to us through Pastor Jared's word this morning God I pray that no matter what's going on in the world around us that you bring us comfort you bring us peace and healing in Jesus name Amen Hey church, how are you doing? Whether it is beauty or fashion or music, an influencer is someone who leads the way and brings other people along with them. And today, people can build a following of thousands or even hundreds of thousands, and they can leverage that for any purpose that they want. It might be to do some good in the world. It might be to spread a message. It might be to sell products, or it could just be so that they feel loved. But for an influencer to lead the way, they have to be original. They aren't part of the pack. If you're going to be an influencer, you have to be ahead of everyone else. Originality is what sets you apart. That's why today in our series Influencer, we're talking about the power of originality. And during this series, we're asking, what would it look like for you to be an influencer every single day when it comes to faith? What would it look like for you to have that impact on your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors when it comes to faith. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. With everything that is going on in our world right now today, with 
the spread of the coronavirus, also called COVID-19, with the way that our lives have been disrupted, and many of you have been sent home from work, and even scarier still, some of you work in healthcare and you haven't been sent home from work. Students heading home, having to get out of their dorm rooms right away. I think it's more important than ever that as Christ followers, as people who follow the way of Jesus, we learn to live in a different way than the people who are around us, less influenced and impacted by fear and anxiety and worry, and more living in the light of who God is with confident trust. Now, at the end of the talk today, I'm going to share with you some practical steps that I think we can take as a church to make a difference so that we can live like Jesus and follow in his footsteps. So I want you to, to listen along, and uh, when we get to the end, you'll have some links that will be shared with you so you can take some practical steps. We'll also share those on social media with you, and so if you um, subscribe to our, e- our email list, you can find those steps there as well. But as we continue thinking about being an influencer, here's what I want to share with you. You don't have to have a huge following to have a huge influence. That is not how influence works. One of the most impactful, influential people in my entire life was actually an insurance salesman. When I was in high school, I didn't want to have anything to do with faith that wasn't a big part of my life. Um, Science was kind of my religion. It was everything that I thought about. And I met this young man, a guy my age, a teenager named Harrison, and I started hanging out at Harrison's house. And his dad was the insurance salesman. So um, as I went over there, just spending time with their family was hugely influential in me. It seemed so weird because they really actually seemed to like each other. And for me, and just in my family, that was foreign. My, my family was a good family, but we did not enjoy spending time with each other. And the more time I spent over there, the more influence they had in my life. I started making better decisions. I stopped using drugs. And eventually, I put my trust in Jesus and became a follower of God. That is life-changing influence from an insurance salesman with no followers on social media. That's the best kind of influence that there is. And here's the thing, my dream for our church, my dream for the church is that we would leverage every drop of influence that God gives us to help people find a life-giving relationship with God. Here's, Here's the question that drives me and drives all of us forward. Who in here has at least one person in their life that is still far from God, a family member, a friend, put your hands up. And if you're watching with us online, why don't you just type amen and let us know, is there one person in your life, a friend, relative, associate, or neighbor who's still far from God? Well, we have a job to do until there are no more hands. God has given us influence to help people find him. So how do we gain and keep influence in the lives of people that we love and care about? Influence is It's hard to build, but it can evaporate in just a second. And so what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, we're going to learn from Jesus, the most influential person who ever lived. Think about Jesus for a second. Jesus had no children. Jesus left no writings. He had no wealth. When he died, his followers numbered in the hundreds at most, and it was probably a couple dozen. He had no position. He had no political influence, and yet... Because of his life and his message, there are 2 billion people on the globe today who are following him. That is serious influence. And one of the things that made Jesus an influencer was his originality. There was no one like 
Jesus. No one understood him. He didn't fit in any of the categories that people had for him. He seemed to be doing his own thing in his own way, and that's what made him compelling. There's actually one particular story about Jesus that just captures so much of what made him an original figure. And it's found in John chapter four. It's sometimes called the woman at the well or Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And it captures so much of what makes him unique and so much of what gave him influence in other people's lives. So today, I wanna walk you through this story. You can open up a paper Bible with you. You can look at the version Bible online and we're gonna dig into what made him unique. And as we do, we'll find how we can follow in Jesus' footsteps and gain the kind of influence he had. Here's what it says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. You may have heard of John before. That's John the Baptist. More on him in a second. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner and he was every bit as original as Jesus was. If John was from around here, he would definitely be from Cambridge. He only wore clothing made of all natural, never bleached fibers, and his diet was mostly locally sourced, organically scavenged locusts and wild honey. John was like a hippie. And he's the forerunner of Jesus. Jesus here is headed to Galilee to try to avoid a confrontation with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious leaders of Judaism. Normally, when Jews were trying to get to Galilee, they would take this wide, circuitous route to get there so that they could go around the region of Samaria, which was, Samaria was full of what they considered to be ethnically impure, half-blooded people, the Samaritans, and Jews would not speak to them, they would not eat with them, they wouldn't even drink with them. And that's where Jesus finds himself. Listen, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And the time of the story is gonna become important here in just a second. At noon, people are trying to avoid doing manual labor. Still to this day, when you go into uh, when you go near a, near a Dunkin' Donuts in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, it's filled with construction workers because nobody wants to work when it's hot. And all throughout the world to this day, still women often go have the job of going to carry water. And so they get these huge jars of water and they carry them on their heads or their shoulders back to their home. And they try to do this first thing in the morning so it's not when it's hot. Now, The story continues. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And here's where we have to pause because Jesus here is breaking basically every cultural rule and taboo that exists. When we, when we read the story, we don't hear that. We don't see that. It's just like he's thirsty, but he is breaking literally every rule. First of all, he's speaking directly to a woman in public that's not his wife. Huge cultural taboo. Second, he's crossing the boundary of ethnic disgust. Jews do not associate with Samaritans, but Jesus doesn't seem to care. Jews don't even touch the dishes that Samaritans have touched because they're considered disgusting, but Jesus just does things his own way. He's completely original. And I want to just pause here and say for a second, if you're a woman, 
you know, even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you should follow Jesus in his way just because of the way that Jesus radically elevated women in a way that no one in human history had done at that point. Jesus treated women with dignity when everyone else scorned them. Jesus talked to women that no one else would talk to. Jesus taught women because he knew that women are capable of learning and that they're smart. Jesus protected women physically. Everything about Jesus was pro-woman. It was part of his originality, and we're seeing that bleed through here when he sits down with this woman across every boundary from him and has a conversation with her at Jacob's well. As the story goes on, Jesus answered this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so Jesus here is turning the conversation to spiritual things pretty quickly. Living water is something like running water, but he, he's not talking about what quenches your thirst. He's talking about what quenches your soul. What, what meets the deepest longings of your soul? And the woman replies, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it as himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So do you see the mismatch in the conversation that's happening here? Jesus is talking about spiritual truth, but she's not picking up what he's putting down. He's saying, you know, I've got something on tap that's going to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And she's like, yeah, but where are your bucket and rope? And I, I, you know, I don't think we should be too hard on her because I think if we met Jesus, you know, and he's like, listen, I have eternal life for you. I have the deepest spiritual things that you could possibly need. You know, we'd probably say, you know, that's amazing. But also I heard that you could just, you know, turn water into wine. And I was kind of hoping to see if you could do that again. And so he's having this spiritual conversation. And even though she's not getting it, he keeps digging in to the longings of her soul because he cares about what's going on in her soul. This is actually why... She's hanging out at the well at noon. She didn't want to come to the other, with the other women and experience ridicule and scorn and listen to why that is. Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. So, Here's a lady that's been married five times, and the guy she's married to isn't her husband. She has been seeking something in a man. And isn't this so common? Men and women both seeking the deepest longings of their soul in the arms of another person. She's been hoping that a man can give her the acceptance, the security, and the love that her soul is longing for. She's hoping that the next man is going to treat her differently. And in the midst of this turmoil in her soul, Jesus just brings it up. And he's not condoning it, but he also doesn't really seem to be condemning her. He's just pointing it out. He's observing it. You know, this is one of the, just the wildest things about Jesus. He is not afraid of the truth. Even while he's hanging out with the most broken people in town. In fact, Jesus' moral standards are higher than anyone who ever lived. It's one of the really unique things about him. His moral standards seem higher than anyone could even imagine and at the same time, his grace towards people 
who are broken and can't meet those standards is just outlandish. Let me give you an example about Jesus' moral standards. There was one time where Jesus was teaching a very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he's talking about adultery, which is one of the Ten Commandments, the big ten, right? It's like, you know, don't commit adultery. And you want to talk about originality. You can't make this stuff up. This is what Jesus has to say about adultery. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. In other words, what does that mean? You can look, but you can't touch. It's like, you, you know the rules. You're not allowed to sleep with someone who's not your wife and not your husband. That's the rule. He says, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the whole world has this rule. You can look, but don't touch. But Jesus says, if you even look, you are committing adultery in your heart. And all the men who were there were like, Jesus, stop. Our wives are here. Dude, you're you're making adulterers out of all of us And yet Jesus doesn't stop. He has incredibly high moral standards. But think about this. You would think that if Jesus has this high of a standard when it comes to lust and adultery, that he would never be caught dead, hanging out alone at a well with just him and a promiscuous woman. But Jesus' high moral standards never stop him from showing grace. That's the true originality of Jesus. What makes Jesus truly original is his insistence on moral perfection matched with his love of broken people. There is nothing like it. So let me put it another way. The true originality of Jesus is found in his perfect blending of truth and grace. All truth, all the time. All grace, all the time. Now, that's what makes Jesus original, but I want to talk to us as the church for a second because we follow an original Savior and that has to bleed into our lives in some way. You know, with the outbreak of the coronavirus, also called COVID-19 in our city, we have an opportunity to live with originality in difficult times. We have an opportunity to live differently than everyone else does. We can live like no one else because we have been loved like no one else. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, we know this. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Famine can't. Disease can't. Sickness can't. Not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. You think about that as a person. The worst thing that could happen to you is you could die. But God has already shown his victory over death. That's what Jesus rising from the dead was all about. And here, when you live with no fear in your life, you are free. So as Christians, we don't, we're not, you know, I have concerns because my kids go to Boston public schools. I have a wife. I live in the city. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think about what's going on. I want to live with prudence. I want to live with wisdom. But as Christians, we don't live, we don't stay in worry. We don't stay in anxiety and we certainly don't panic because we have a God who is sovereign, a God who is big, and a God who is in control. And as I said, when you're free from fear, you are truly free. And one of the things that sets us do is free to show grace to people in our city and in our communities. I want to share with you a couple of ways that our church has that you can be involved in showing grace 
across every line that exists during these difficult times. First, we are sharing a spreadsheet. It's a Google Doc that allows people to make offers and to share the needs that they have. And so our elders are leading the way in this. And so, you know, we make offers like we can run errands for you if you're quarantined and you're stuck in your house. We can go to the pharmacy for you. We can make sure you have groceries if you need groceries. We've seen people offer to um, pay for flights back home for students that all of a sudden found themselves um, having to go home from their school. And so you could sign up on this spreadsheet and just say, hey, here's what I'm able to do. Here's what I'm able to contribute. And on the other side of the spreadsheet, you can put your needs in there too. Or if you know of a need, you can, you can share it with them and ask them to put the needs on. So for instance, a lot of the people in our church and in our community who are hourly workers are really hurting right now. They depend on that pay to pay the bills and to put food on the table. And because everything's shutting down, their hours have been slashed. And so I've spoken to two people this week who were looking for a job actively. And it's like, man, it doesn't seem likely that they're gonna find a job right now. Now we absolutely can pray for them, but as a church, we need to care for them too. So I want you to engage with this. If you're able to help, I want you to put that on there. And if you need help, I want you to put that on there too. And it's not just for our church, it's for our city. So we're gonna share that link with you. I want you to spread it far and wide. So we wanna meet physical needs and, and practical needs in our city's time of need. But here's the other thing. You know, we're Christians. So we are a praying people. And... Um, we don't look to prayer as a last resort. We look to prayer as a first resort. And so our church is hosting a prayer call through Google Hangouts every night at 7 p.m., led by one of our elders. And I want to invite you to hop on and pray with us. And we'll, we'll guide that time so we'll have some bullet points, some things that you can pray for. If you're not a pray out loud kind of person, you won't have to pray out loud. You can kind of follow along if that's what you want to do. We will lead that time and you can just tune in and engage in that time as well. But we just believe that God wants the church to lead the way in prayer. And you can pray for other people. You can also ask for prayer for yourself if you have needs in your life. Those are the two main things, but there's a third thing as well. And I want to speak to those of you who made a wise choice and joined a community group earlier in your life, <laughs> earlier this year. I want to encourage you to continue to meet as a community group if you're healthy. And Community, the community that God brings into your life is so powerful in supporting you in praying for others and meeting needs. I just know this. The church is not a service. The church is the people of God gathered together. And so I want to I encourage you that if it's safe and if you're healthy, to continue to gather together in small groups. We're going to post the links to all of that here online, but also on social as well and in our emails too. would love for you to engage that engage with this. Now, church, listen, this is your chance to show grace like Jesus showed grace to people across every possible conceivable boundaries. We're not looking for people behave the right, to behave the right way so that we can love them. We love with no strings attached because that's who Jesus was. Jesus' acceptance of behavior was not based on people's opinions. He had very, very high moral standards. That's true. But even greater than that, his grace, Jesus' acceptance of people wasn't based on their behavior. And it's my hope that we'll be the same kind of church. You know, when you think about the closing of that, G that story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, you know what it ended with? It ended with influence. It said this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And my hope is that the influence of the church will actually grow in this difficult time 
that our sovereign God has given us a chance to not just play at church, but to be the church, to show radical grace in a city that's in desperate need of peace, of wisdom, of prudence, of faith, and of love. So let's be that church together. Would you pray with me? God, we are praying that you sovereignly over this time would use this to draw people towards yourself. I do pray, God, that in some people's lives, you would awaken the truth that life is fragile, and so they would turn to you. But God, as your church, let us be the people who lead the way with grace, that when we encounter the truth, we apply it to our own lives, and we apply it to ourselves first. But when we find any need in this world, we meet it, and we love well because we've been loved well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.